This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo as we get set to discuss the week's big news out of Anfield. With no action to come this weekend, the Reds have the chance to finally grab a breather, albeit after a disappointing showing down at Arsenal. We'll look back on that, as well as some squad news which may see the Reds move into the transfer market. Plus, with Liverpool's title preparations having been confirmed, the King will be getting ready to crown the champions. Alongside myself, Guy Clark, is our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst, our chief LFC writer, Ian Doyle, and also Super Red, Dan K. Gentlemen, how are we all? Sam, thank you. Pretty good. I'll take Super Red any day. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too bad. Thanks, Guy. How are you? Yeah, not so bad. We best, I suppose, get straight into Wednesday night's game, not spend too much time to, to dwell over what went wrong. Doyle, you were down at the Emirates and... Two very uncharacteristic errors really sealing Liverpool's fate and all of their own making. Yeah, I think the last time, certainly there was a time last season at, at Fulham when both Virgil van Dijk and Alisson Becker were at fault for the same goal, I think it was, that Fulham scored. And Liverpool turned that one around and ended up winning the game 2-1. Um, but this time, it was just strange, wasn't it? I mean, Liverpool had, I think it was 102% possession or something stupid like that. And, you know, Arsenal didn't really offer a lot going forward. I mean, Mikel Arteta was interesting after the game. He basically said, look, the game showed how you know, we're absolutely the enormous gap between the two teams. We're miles behind Liverpool. So the only thing we could match them on is effort. And funny enough, that's probably one of the things that a lot of Liverpool fans were saying Liverpool lacked a little bit of effort, but I don't think it was that. I just think it's it's the intensity, isn't it? With them having already won the league. This has happened before for Liverpool. I mentioned it in my stuff. In you know, Dan will remember in 1983 Liverpool. They hadn't actually sealed the league, but they were so far ahead. They took two points from the last seven games and still won by about ten points. And in 1988, that was probably well along with this one, the best Liverpool team that's won the league. They won it with their games to spur, drew quite a few games towards the end, lost a couple. And the problem they had there is they took that into the cup final against Wimbledon and lost. And everyone forgets that that was a slightly contributing factor to it. But Liverpool don't even have a cup final now, do they? It's all over. They did have that kind of, you know, could they reach the 100-point mark? Could they beat Manchester City? But for all the talk, I think they'd have wanted to have done it. But it's hardly, you know, the fact that Jurgen Klopp's making changes such as against um, against Burnley's bringing in Nico Williams and Curtis Jones. Liverpool were desperate to win the league and needed to win. I wouldn't have been surprised if they hadn't played in those games and you wouldn't have the likes of Harvey Elliott coming on for the last five minutes of games. So I think there's the proof itself. Liverpool didn't play. don't think they actually played that badly, to be honest, against Arsenal. I think Arsenal made it a lot easier for them just by sitting back. And I know we're going to talk about the fans stuff in a bit with fans being allowed back into stadiums, but I'm very much of the opinion it is kind of colouring performances at the moment. I mean, do you really think, well, come on, do we know any Arsenal fans on this on this uh, podcast here? I mean... If you if you paid money to go and watch Arsenal at home, and they produced a performance like that in terms of not you know they de- defended well, but in terms of not really going forward at all at home, the the crowd would have been on the backs in the second half, and that affects players because they're human. And when people someone's shouting at you for forty five minutes to do something other than what you're actually being told, it just gets you in the end, and that they just create a certain uncertainty. So I think Arsenal benefited benefited from that in the same way that I thought Liverpool would have beat Burnley with fans on. Saturday, there's no way they'd have been so passive in the last 10, 15 minutes after Burnley scored. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to be too critical. There were, you know, you mentioned Virgil van Dijk and Alisson back out. How often do they make mistakes? And then within 15 minutes of each other, which doesn't happen very often. 
I think it was just certainly the Van Dyke one was just a sign of a little bit too laid back, a little bit too relaxed because that's what people are like when the thing that they've attempted to do, they've done it. And now they're just not going through the motions, but they're certainly not at the same level that's got them where they are now, which is what's still about 18 points clear. Is it? So it's, you know, you know, it's, it's you know, Liverpool haven't been brilliant since the restart, but they've not been awful. They've hardly fallen off the cliff or anything, but since winning the league, it doesn't really matter, does it? No, I remember you saying before the City game, actually, that you wouldn't be surprised if City won every game. Obviously, they, they didn't against Southampton and that Liverpool dropped points in most of the games. Mm. And I suppose, actually, it kind of is transpiring to be the case. But, Gorsley, what do you make of the, the sort of talk of fans obviously not being there and the effect it's having on Liverpool? Not in terms of, I suppose, fans roaring Liverpool over the line, but more, as Doyle was saying there, with, with Arsenal. When you think back to the Wolves game at Molyneux in January, the anxiety of certainly home fans of getting excited and thinking they're going to get one over this Liverpool side, all of a sudden they turn it on and say, well, you're not going to, but obviously no fans in the ground. It's it's not the same atmosphere they're playing in. No, it, it, it's difficult, isn't it, to, to carry on with the same intensity that Liverpool play at. And you know, just that famous quote, isn't it, from Pep Lynn, is that intensity is our identity. And, and when you think of, of Liverpool and Manchester City, they do play very different types of football. City are very suffocating with the ball and it's, it's a carousel that goes round from the Bruyne and the two silvers. They, they, they keep up all the possession and they invariably have more of the ball than any other team. Liverpool a little bit different in terms of going back to front quicker and getting it through to the front players as fast as they can and kind of striking Mali Iron Tot. And when you've already won the league and there's no fans there to watch the subsequent games and there's been quite a lot of them, let's face it, Liverpool won the league in the quickest ever time, so they pretty much have to play a quarter of quarter of the league with no fans in attendance when there's nothing really riding on it other than you know the the pride of, of a certain amount of points. So it's understandable that performance levels are always going to dip and drop, and it's not really a conscious thing because I think the the entire squad are uber professionals who you know carry on and prepare for every game in, in the same way they do whether it's you know, the Champions League final or whether it's a, a, a game in the league that doesn't mean anything so I, I think it's almost just a, a natural thing of when you when you dip below 1 or 2% and it does have that knock on effect but you can't be too critical can we of, of Liverpool who I didn't think were, were too great the night and they weren't great against Burnley particularly second half they were 25 points before the, the season resumed and now they're only 18 clear, so that, that's quite a, a drop-off in terms of points. But, um, you know, doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Many would argue that it doesn't. Dan, on the, I suppose, on the, on the points total front, do you think this squad might look back on it and think, well, that was an <coughs> opportunity to be listed as the greatest ever team and they've not missed out on it? Or do you think now it's done that we just sort of move on from it all anyway? I don't think it's a major issue, really. I've seen a couple of a couple of things on social media, not even necessarily from Liverpool fans, saying that this has been such a great side that they almost deserve to have some kind of statistical mark against their name, such has been their dominance and their excellence through the season. <coughs> the thing, but the thing is, they 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 do have that. They've won the league quicker than anybody else in history. That's how dominant they've been. That's how quickly they've blown everybody else out of the water. Yeah, I think it might have been Roy Keane in the last couple of days. He said at the end of the and he's obviously was it last uh, last season at one point on Sky, him and Carragher had a little bit of a ding dong when Carragher was saying how you know, Liverpool nearly won the league with ninety seven points, and he made the point, yeah, but you didn't win the league. And I've seen him in the last couple of days saying at the end of the day, on your medal, it doesn't say how many points you won it by or how many points you achieved at the end of it. It just says that you won it, and and ultimately that is the 
that's the key factor. Just, just, just one thing I'd want to add in about, you know, a slight explanation as to why there's been this kind of little drop off. And you know, and it, you know, I think a stat that, that kind of stood out to me in terms of just illustrating illustrating the drop off, but also illustrating just how magnificent Liverpool have been over the the majority of the season. Liverpool have dropped more points in the five games since the restart, eight, than in the 31 beforehand. They only dropped seven points in the first 31 matches, which is just ridiculous. And I think, as, as the lads have pointed out, when you've had your heart set, you know, winning the league has been such a focus, such a goal for them right from the start, that inevitably there was going to be a, a lack of intensity once they've, kind of, once they've hit that. But I think another, another slight factor has been the unusual conditions that they're playing in at the moment. And I'm not just talking about no fans. The you know the the, the drinks breaks in between each half. The fact of the, the the five substitutes. Liverpool are very much a team that rely on intensity and momentum and kind of like you know wearing teams down and harassing them to death. And this constant stop start with more subs, more breaks, I don't think it's helped particularly the way they play. So I, I think that's maybe another contributory factor to it. But at the end of the day, you know, in five days' time, finally, the Premier League trophy is going to be lifted at Anfield by Liverpool, not by Blackburn Rovers or anybody else. And that is all that matters. Doyle, what do you make of that point of the the drinks break stopping things? Because Jurgen Klopp, was it after the Aston Villa game, sat in front of the press and said, this is something for 20 years that I've been suggesting we should have and is, is actually sort of seems to be quite a big advocate of it. Although I, I take Dan's point, it does seem to sort of stop the, the rhythm that Liverpool may have been building till that point. Yeah, I think he might change his tune after after that. I mean, I'm sure I saw stats basically said that Liverpool haven't conceded a goal since the restarts before a drinks break, but they've conceded all the goals they've conceded has come after yeah. them. And it, and it happened against Burnley, straight away against Burnley in the second half. Burnley, I mean, Liverpool did score in the first half later on, but Burnley were better in the second half of the first half, if you see what I'm trying to say there. And against Arsenal, you know, they were dominant, scored the goal, drinks break, and then he kind of laid, sat back, didn't he, a little bit? Or just that little lack of intensity, as Gorsty mentioned, and suddenly it was 2-1. Uh, well, Klopp likes it. I don't think um, his players, certainly the way that they play the game, it, it's helped them too much. And on the five substitutes thing, I cannot believe that the clubs will vote for that to go through. They can't, really. because The bigger ones will. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I was going to say, it's good for the bigger clubs because it means they can, you know, they've got bigger squads and the drop-off in quality isn't so big. But if you're some of the smaller clubs, you know, it's hard enough trying to compete with the likes of Liverpool and City as it is. But when they're making you know, five subs, when one player gets a little bit tired and you can bring off, I don't know. For argument's sake, Liverpool brought Shakira. I know he's not played all season, but he's still a Swiss international. He's won a Champions League with two separate clubs. He's won, you know, won the league in I think three different countries. You know, and most clubs can't compete with that. You know, that's somebody who's barely played for Liverpool this season. That shows you that you know, in certain areas, they've got a very strong squad. But the five subs thing, no, I hope they don't. They don't. I mean, I've been an advocate for for a long time. Without which to boil, get to this point really quickly. That there should actually be less subs. Full stop. Because you can't, you can't really affect, um, in terms of getting teams to be more even, you can't change salary caps. That'll never happen. Obviously, FFP is a complete waste of time because of what's happened in Manchester City. Although, you know, they'll argue, well, we didn't do anything wrong. Say, well, how come you got fined £10 million? That kind of thing. I'm sure you've, you've done all this has been mentioned already this week. But um, I was going to say, all right, Josie. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, but, but if you're only allowed three subs from a bench of three, then, you know, you can have a massive squad if you want, but most of those players aren't going to play, so they'll go, I want to go somewhere else. And that trickles down to other teams, so other teams get stronger. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion there'd actually be fewer subs, but that's a long-term thing because what FIFA and the FA can do, sorry, FIFA, is change the rules of the game to make it more even. You, know, you can't have a legal challenge. What are they going to come to the point where they go, hang on, 11 players is not enough. Let's make it 13 on the pitch so we get more on there. That would never happen. It's still a sport eventually. So if they want to change something to make it more even, do that. Yeah, and you also... I get off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say also on that point, though, of substitutions, if if that had been the case all season, for example, I suppose a player like Rian Brewster in January might not have been allowed to go out because he may have been seen to be need to be around to aid and, and be part of the squad. Yet he's gone to Swansea, he's had a, a cracking second half of the season. But on, on players then, Gorsty, and on the form that Liverpool are showing, I think it's one win in seven now away from home, albeit the caveat that Liverpool have already won the league. But is there not some kind of worry maybe setting in that a, a number of the players, perhaps the likes of Oxlade-Chamberlain and Roberto Firmino, not quite hitting the form throughout the whole post-lockdown period, even before Liverpool had won the title? Maybe, but they won it quite quickly, didn't they? There was the Everton game, uh, which is always a, a dead rub, but anyway, well, not so much a dead rub, but it's always a... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think seven of the last eight have, have been draws at Goodison Park, and yeah. the, the other one was ninety-fourth minute winner from Sadio Mane. So I think I think they should just both just take a point from that game and just not play it every season, to be honest. And then Liverpool won it when they beat Palace four 0 which is probably one of the best performances of the season. So um, the subs could drop off is is understandable. It's explainable. Um, doesn't make it any less of a concern for some fans who seem to be certainly. The ones I've seen more glass empty than, than full at the moment, which is crazy when you think about it. But um, yeah, I mean, Firmino is an interesting one. He, he's yet to score from the restart, and obviously scored against Atletico Madrid, didn't he? But that was his first goal in Anfield all season, and we've spoken a lot about that in the past. Oxley Chamberlain is another one who kind of struggling for a little bit of form, and he started three of the, the seven games since the thing, which I was surprised about when I read that because it, uh, I didn't even think he'd started that many. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose you, you can be a little bit concerned of, of certain individuals' form since the restart, but I'll caveat that by saying that it was won pretty quickly into the, the return, wasn't it? Yeah, what do you make of it? Dan, any any sort of reason for worry or, or not? I certainly don't think it's a reason for worry. I think it's kind of inevitable. I mean, I think what we've got to remember is, you know, Liverpool have been playing a level of intensity and excellence and drive for two seasons, you know, it, it's not, and obviously one very elongated season that we still haven't quite concluded yet. And all this work, you know, day after day, training matches, it, non-stop, has all been predicated on winning the league and getting the hands on it. And now it's actually happened. You know, there's an old saying, isn't there? The only worth, the only thing worse in life in, 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 than not getting what you want is getting what you want. And, and I, I, th- I think it, it, it's a mental shift for them that I think is going to take some time to actually set in. The, you know, the, the way they play is so kind of goal-driven in terms of, like, you know, striving for the top prizes. And now that it's there, they've obviously been in this, like, three-, four-week hiatus where, you know, you, you, win, the, you win a, a cup competition, you're literally getting your hands on it within 10 minutes, aren't you? Whereas, obviously, it, it'll be, what, it'll be four or five weeks after the Chelsea Man City game, by the time they actually get it, so they've been in. I wouldn't say purgatory because it's not exactly been hell, but it has been an unusual, you know, unique situation that that they've never been through before, and they will probably never be go through again. So, 
you know, I'm, I'm, one thing I have actually quite enjoyed is seeing Jurgen Klopp, seeing how annoyed Klopp has been after some of the games. I remember chatting to a mate after the game on Wednesday and watching his interview and saying, it'll be dying to pop someone on the way home now. Um, <laughs> and and, and, I, and that, that to me shows that, I, I don't think they're, I think Gorsi made reference to it in, in, in his report the other night, that it's almost like it's a bit of a box-ticking exercise now, just getting through these games. Um I think we will see it. The point is, I think we'll see a totally different Liverpool once 2020, 2021 starts. We might need a couple of new players or a couple of fresh faces or certainly a bit of a reset. But these unique sets of circumstances have had a bit of a, you know, a mental effect on them. They, they're human beings. Yeah, and no. I think that's something to be expected. Yeah, of course. But it's good in the sense that it's good in the sense that they've managed to because they won it so early. They've had the reaction to winning the league in seven games. That doesn't really matter. That's the Rather thing. Than the first seven exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember I was in America last year on the tour and Klopp was absolutely, not fuming, but he, he kind of, he'd had enough of the team celebrating being Champions League winners. He really didn't like, every time he did a press conference, he was he's like, stop, you know, he didn't say stop asking me these questions, but, you know, the locals were all, they wanted to know, what's it like to win the European Cup? What's it like to win the Champions League? This, that, and the other. And he's like, it were great, but it's new season now, so we need to crack on with this. And I, th- I w- wouldn't say that he thought that people's minds were being distracted because there were still a lot of the players weren't, weren't available for that tour. But you saw Liverpool's results in the in the friendlies. Most of them were not particularly great. The performances weren't great, and there were—it's funny that thinking about it now. There were worries going into the season that you know how, how are Liverpool going to react to this, and then of course within about three weeks they'd won about five games, they'd won a trophy, and they were top of the league, and then they never really looked back as Man City and you know slipped up a couple of times. So that was it. So it is good that they've they've got this reaction out of the way now, rather than and you know going to say it, the next season starts. We're pretty sure it's going to start mid September. Where are we now? Mid mid July. It's less than two months. We haven't even finished this season yet. So it's good that it's happening now. Yeah, and Liverpool, of course, need to be wary that Manchester United are setting the benchmark in the Premier League, according to no, Rio Ferdinand. But they are not setting the benchmark. <laughs> They've gone all the way from fifth to fifth. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. If Jurgen Klopp might not want to dwell on trophy successes, we sure can here on the Blood Red podcast. And this week as well, then, Gorst, the, the title preparations all confirmed. The images had started emerging of some of the seats in the, the cop being cleared. And, well, it, it seems as though Liverpool are going to try and make this as, I suppose, authentic celebration as they can, albeit, obviously, the fans won't be in the ground. Yeah, there was a tweet from Conor McNamara, wasn't it? We went to the BBC and, and he tweeted the... It was kind of... Um, uh, uh, a shadow setup of, of what would be a podium, and that was on the cop. And I must admit, I was at Anfield on Saturday for the Burnley game, and I didn't even notice it myself. And um, I've seen the pictures since, and then obviously with the news on Wednesday night that there will be a, you know, a, a, some sort of, of formal presentation, which, which is good to hear. I mean, obviously it's not going to be anywhere near the same with fifty-four thousand fans in Anfield cheering on that moment and spinning out onto the streets, and you know the city centre celebrations after it and all that. But I think it is important to mark this event with some sort of official ceremony. And uh, it'll be a special moment, won't it, when Kenny Dalglish kind of passes the torch to, to Jürgen Klopp and hands out the winner's medals and, and Jordan Henderson and, and his mates together. It'll go on and celebrate another trophy that they kind of become an expert to celebrating on podiums now, aren't they, over the last... Uh, what, 13 months they'd have done it in the Champions League, the Super Cup, the Club World Cup and now the, the Premier League, which is the one that they've wanted. So 
it's going to be um It'll be a bit of a surreal moment and a bit of a strange one, but it will be a, a celebratory atmosphere on the pitch and it's going to be really um, intriguing to see how that all that unfolds, to be honest, because it's not, not going to be a traditional lap of honour the way that it is for every home game at the end of the season. Um, it's almost going to be a little bit of a, a bit of a, a surreal one, as I say, but looking forward to it nonetheless. It'll be a special moment that so many fans around the world have waited a few decades for. Yeah, I suppose, Dan, albeit weird, obviously no fans in there and it being the moment that so many Reds have been waiting for, but it is a fitting touch that Sir Kenny Dalglish is going to be involved in in the ceremony itself. Absolutely, there's no more fitting person to uh, to present the trophy to Jordan Henderson. As as Gorsty said, you know, passing the torch on, he was the last manager to, not just to win the league for Liverpool, but to win a Premier League at, at, at Anfield because, of course, he was Blackburn Rovers manager in 1995 when when they did it as well. <clears throat> it's you know it, We've had a long time to think about this, haven't we, and what it's going to be like. And I do remember when Chelsea won their quarter-final and we found out that the game was going to be moved to the weekend. Initially, having a little bit of a cob on, thinking, oh, we can't even have it on a weekend type thing. But having heard how things are actually going to play out now, and you know, apparently it's going to be some kind of low pyrotechnic lights, and you know, I actually think it's going to it's going to look and it's going to look better at night than it would do. You know, and particularly bearing in mind how much flipping grey weather we've had lately as well, uh, on a on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. I do remember quite early in lockdown seeing <clears throat> Celtics title presentation. They they cancelled the rest of the league, didn't they? And they were just presented. They were just had it presented to them on a. <clears throat> on a Saturday afternoon at Parkhead. And to be honest, it may be really sad watching it thinking, is this what it's going to be like for us? Whereas now, you know, the fact that it's, you know, it, well, it's going to be midweek, which for people have to work the next day, there's going to be a fair few sore heads, I think, on, on Thursday morning and a fair few people putting their phones on silent. But just the fact that it's on, you know, we always say, don't we, games under floodlights have a little bit of extra zing to them. And it's, it's not going to be the same. I can't pretend I'm not a little bit heartbroken that having gone to Anfield for, since 1984, haven't had a season ticket for like the, the last 20 years. <clears throat> this moment that <clears throat> I and many others have dreamed about is, is you know, we're not going to be there for. But you've got to keep things in perspective. There's been tens of thousands of people in this country and around the world who've had far more serious things to deal with in recent weeks. So, you, you know, you've got to keep things in check and be grateful. You know, if if me not being in the ground was the price, I, the price to pay for Liverpool winning the league, then I'll take that. Doyle, what do you make of it? A man, I'm sure, who deeply cares about the aesthetics of it all, with it all taking place, of course, on the cop as well. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I was <laughs> expecting you to go, I'm not bothered, they're going to be handed the trophy and that's it. I, can't, I think it's a nice touch that they're doing it in the cop, though, because they can't be amongst the fans. At least they can be mm. in the place where, you know, famously the fans are. And they're going to have the banners around them. Yeah, I must admit, it's going to be interesting... I mean, it's going to be interesting because obviously me and Paul will be at the game and without giving too much away, we're sat absolutely miles away from the pitch now. They, they, they do it as about completely opposite to Arsenal, by the way. Arsenal were right in front of the dugout. So that was actually quite an experience just watching them all getting on with it and shouting and screaming. It's funny that all the shouts that you've, you know, when you played five-a-side or Sunday league football, just playing with your mates, they're exactly the same. They're exactly the same towards the players. There was one funny bit. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to go off too much on a tangent, but there was one funny bit where there was two Arsenal players, Pepe and somebody else, kind of bumped into each other because they were going for the same ball. And they both turned around and went, oh. 
And all of the Arsenal bench and all of the subs got up and basically just said, just effing well, get on with it. All of them to a man, all of them just got up and said exactly the same thing. But but anyway, going back to the point, we won't probably won't be able to see it as well. So it, it'll be something that'll be for the, obviously for the players, and it's for the it'll be for all the fans. It's, it's a massive show, not just so much for the people watching on television, but for the people who, you know, you'll be able to step out your house if you're living in Liverpool, and you'll be able to look up and you'll see the fireworks, and you'll hear if you're nearby, you'll be able to hear it. So it will feel as though they're putting on as much of a show as they possibly can, and also, and very much of what Klopp said in the past, when fans are allowed back in. This won't be the only time that they're doing a celebration or picking up that trophy because when everyone's back in there, not like when there's a few of them in there, but when they're all back in there, which will be some point next next season, they'll do it again. And they've said, you know, he said, I think we'll wait for as long as possible until we're able to parade this trophy in front of all the fans who followed us all the way through this season. And it'll be a parade. So it's, you know, I know Liverpool fans have been saying they're going to be unbearables and some of them have been, although lately some of them have been unbearable by moaning about the fact that Liverpool are only 15 billion points clear at the top. Um, I think <laughs> we just wait until they start celebrating lifting the title about three or four times over the next six months. Yeah, I suppose that is the thing. Liverpool are going to get a chance to stretch this out. And I suppose today as well, Gorsley, we found out that the government is certainly working towards supporters returning to Anfield, returning to stadia around the country in October. Yeah, so the line today wasn't it from Boris Johnson that um, Stadia are going to kind of reopen and allow fans back in in, in time for October. Um, I think it all ties in with, with this this government trying to kind of kickstart the economy as quickly as they can. Um, it's not going to be fifty four thousand at Anfield, is it? Um, they're obviously going to come to some sort of compromise there and have X amount of fans kind of socially distanced across across the terraces and so on. So it will be interesting to see what kind of the, the the first ballpark figure is for the attendance at Anfield in October. Um, I was told a couple of weeks back that there already have been discussions between the club and supporter groups about as and when they can come back. So um, it's all it's all welcome news, isn't it? You know, it's, it's already happened in is it Denmark or Norway, uh, somewhere in Scandinavia, I think, where, where they're already allowing it. And it does, does work by the looks of it. You know, all the fans are kind of um, well spaced out from each other, but they will be able to create some sort of atmosphere so that'll, that'll help the game that'll help the intensity of the game for Liverpool from a footballer perspective it also helps get the money back into the into the tills as it were some, because Liverpool are missing out on around about 3 million for every home game at the moment so um, hopefully that'll be offset by fans coming back into it even if it's only you know, even if it's only a third of the 54,000 capacity so um, yeah all, all good news but um, it still seems like quite a long way away doesn't it you know it's still two months away um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's welcome news, certainly. Yeah, I think we got two Dan K's on the screen. He left, he came back, can see which one's moving, but there, there is an extra one on the screen. I just hope the other one doesn't start speaking out of turn. But Dan, it is great news. That one. <laughs> it, it is great news that not only are you back with us on the uh, on the pod, having just dropped off briefly there, but also that the fans will be returning. And hopefully, as what we spoke about right at the start, it, it sort of kickstarts Liverpool's stronger performances when fans are back in grounds? Well, absolutely. You know, Liverpool are a team that very much rely on the 12th man, the power of Anfield. I've even heard some suggestions that, particularly how well City have played since the restart, that there is a school of thought going around that if the whole season had been played without fans, Liverpool would have come nowhere near winning the league. One of them, isn't it? If my aunt had oranges, she'd be my uncle. 
Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not too worried about that one. It, 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 I, th- I think th- this this news breaking, particularly at the moment when this is probably the week when our absence from matches is feeling as str- as more pronounced than ever. We're, you know, the knowledge that the title parade is going to happen on well, you know, the the the, the the trope will be given on Wednesday and we won't be there. It, it can really feel t- that it's going to start to bite. But as Gorsty pointed out, you know, little by little, the public are starting to come back to public events. He mentioned um, in Denmark, some sports fans are coming back there. And, it, 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 and it's happening in this country as well. Apparently, um, even before the end of the month, <clears throat> some cricket fans are going to be allowed into the Oval to watch the Surrey v Middlesex friendly there before the start of the Shorten County Championship season apparently fans will be able to get into the crucible in sheffield to watch some of the world snooker championships and glorious goodwood the racing uh, in august apparently there will be some spectators there so the something i did want to mention a couple of powers of mind obviously we've been talking about the situation off and on for months and you know how how important it is for fans to, to be present and a mate of mine mark, mark mentioned a while back that um you know possibly the, the game when the title could have been, if it was possible even getting some of the fans in just to see the just to see the presentation, would would that be something the club could, could consider? Because you know, if it was just if it wasn't for a match for a presentation, it'd be much quicker. Now, obviously, that's a complete non-starter for Wednesday. But he's made the point again, um, just when we were chatting earlier today. It would be brilliant if if Liverpool as a club could be proactive and creative to maybe lead on a couple of pilot events at Anfield that would give us the chance to see the trophy. Uh, I mean, with whenever these kind of things happen, I remember there were there were test events before the the opening of the new main stand, weren't there? And I think it's inevitable there will need to be some kind of test events, pilot events, to kind of so people could understand how the logistics and everything could work. And you know, the point is, <clears throat> something like this, you could potentially have ten thousand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand in and out of Anfield in half an hour or an hour, just to kind of test the water. So. You know, these are the things that fans are talking about. I'm sure, as Gorsi mentioned, clubs and authorities and administrators are starting to have these discussions as well. Um, and we hope, you know, obviously we, we, it's got to be led by the public health situation. We hope that that will continue, you know, the numbers will continue to fall. Although we have one person a day is dying, it's still one too many, really. But we hope that this, is, this, this all feels like a step in the right direction. Yeah, I'm sure the Emirates will look fuller than when there's been 60,000 there in the past as well. But Glad you said that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's another issue. But Doily, it is going to have to be handled with a lot of care, this, and certainly the logistics of how the club sort of go about operating this because there are so many thousand season ticket holders at Liverpool as well as people who obviously come from outside of the city to watch the Reds. Yeah, it's, it's do we you know what counts as an essential journey is coming from you know let's 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 do the old cliche coming from Norway to watch Liverpool play at home you know something like that is that really essential I mean the, the people involved might say yeah and I'm sure that the the playing companies might say yeah but you know I'm I'm not sure overall it's interesting because I I think the actual sitting people down in the stadiums is the easy bit the hard bit is getting them in and out I mean how does that work I mean. I think ultimately, a long way down the line, it's just going to come down to personal preference. People go, well, we know the risks and we understand them. Do you really want to go to a football game and go and sit there? You know, it's outside. Will, will, will the fans have to wear masks? I would assume that they would do. You know, because how does that affect the singing? Will there be any singing? Will that be allowed? Imagine that. No singing allowed at football grounds. You know, I can't say that. But, you know, this sounds like a stupid question, but it's, you know, it, it's, if you apparently... I was going to say, you know, yeah, that's Arsenal again, isn't it? The Emirates, they've been doing that for years. You know, trailblazing down there. Um, 
Got lovely seats, by the way. I sat in one of the normal seats, you know. Nice padded, padded, aren't they? Yeah, like cinema yeah. seats. Yeah. We like that in the away end as well. I've yeah. always thought. Really, that. it's very nice. Yeah, yeah. It's a good, it's a good call. That. I thought it was classy just, touch. You know, that's what pop, it is. Seat, yeah. Well, to be fair, because they spend most of the time on the backsides, there's nothing to get them out the seats anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> uh, yeah, going back. Yeah, going back to fans. Yeah, I think the logistics of it is going to be the important thing. But as I say, I think ultimately it'll come down to personal preference. There'll be fan, There'll be people who go. Okay, right. We've we've heeded all of this advice. We would like the option to be able to go on or you know, and it's on us. But you know, as we know, life doesn't really normally work like that. No, certainly not. Well, we've still got a couple of things we want to rattle through before we wrap up here on this week's uh, Friday edition of the the Blood Red podcast. And Paul, I'll come to you with this other line, and it's another sort of administrative line out of football this week that the transfer window dates have been chosen the the 27th of July to the the 5th of October and on that on transfers obviously it's everyone's favourite topic uh, Yasser Arucci this week sort of being set on his way and Adam Lewis has signed a new contract two left backs in the the youth system that people are probably wondering why we're talking about but with Larucci going on a permanent basis and Lewis may be out on loan that left back conundrum surfaces once more it does. Uh, I left Doyle thought a little bit more about Yasser Alucci as, as that was his story yesterday. But uh, Adam Lewis signed a new contract earlier this week, didn't he? And, and now it looks like Larucci could be on his way. Um, it's an interesting one because I would have had those two the other way around in the Anfield pecking order. And maybe they were, but it seems as if Larucci is kind of agitated to move and he, he sees himself playing regularly somewhere else, which is fair enough. Liverpool, obviously, difficult team to get into at the moment. And Andy Robertson has got that spot. Nailed down. So anyone who wants to be a left back at Liverpool know that they're going to have to be a reserve. Um, and he doesn't miss many games, does he? Um, so maybe that's part of Larucci's thinking. Um, if Lewis does leave on loan, I think Jurgen Klopp is comfortable in the knowledge that Joe Gomez can play there, and obviously James Milner is the deputy at the moment. Um, personally, I, I don't think either of those uh, provide anywhere near what Robertson does, and, and that would almost go without saying, given how good Robertson is. But they're not even a similar type of fullback. Um, Gomez is out of position, as is Milner, even though we played a full season there. I think Liverpool would need someone of a, of a similar ilk to Robertson, someone to bring that balance when when he's when Robertson's on the team, a left footer who's got crazy energy levels and, and decent stamina. Um, but they're hard to find, especially when you know when they, they're going to come in and not play much football. So um, Robertson solved the almost a generational problem, hasn't he, at left back? But now Liverpool kind of have another one there and be interesting to see what Cobb does, if, if anything, to be honest. Yeah, and Doyle, LaRucci did get a few first-team chances this season. Of course, came off the bench early on in the, the Merseyside derby in the, the FA Cup at Anfield. And I suppose he and Pedro Chiravea now, two players who got chances in, in notably that game, have now decided actually that they want to go and taste senior football on a uh, more frequent basis. You can't blame him, really, can you? I mean, as you say, he's had that he's had that taste. I mean, he had a few injuries this season as well. I think he would have played in the League Cup a bit earlier on, but he was he was injured. In, I think he was injured for one of those games. Um, but yeah, with Larucci, you know, he, he kind of made a bit of a breakthrough last summer when he featured quite heavily on, in the uh, in the games over the summer, the preseason friendlies. But you know, the difference is that Lewis has agreed to sign a new contract at Liverpool, and Larucci hasn't. So Liverpool have gone. Well, you're entering the last twelve months of your if you do, if you don't want to sign one, we're quite happy for you know to try and get a fee for you. And it looks as though, quite rightly, there are teams 
interested in him. You know, we, you know, Brentford and Leeds, who could both be playing in the Premier League next season. You know, you never know. Certainly Leeds will be, unless they massively leads it from this position, although I can't see them doing it. Um, but, you know, the fact that the, the teams of that standard are the ones that are linked with him and are interested in him, have got in touch about him, that shows you, you know, he's a player, he's only 19, he's got something about him. He used to be, a, the thing is, he used to be a left winger, and it was only like, I think it was about two years ago that he started playing at left back. So he is, in that sense, a little bit like Robertson, in terms of he's very good going forward, but you know, Robertson's a lot better defensively that's maybe one thing that LaRouche hasn't got in his game whereas with Adam Lewis he's he's more of a defender than a forward it's actually it is interesting because I wrote written a story for this afternoon basically last year when Liverpool weren't signing anybody in the uh, summer we were briefed that you know, if there was anybody that they could be interested in it would be somebody who's versatile who could play down the left flank who could possibly play many as a defender but also, also do a job a bit further forward but under the understanding that they wouldn't be first choice in either position and I think Liverpool are in exactly the same position although now although you could argue that they've got more options going forward Curtis Jones can play on the left you know Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain of course you mentioned him he can do something on the left and you know Minamino could possibly do play there as well so there are options but left back is a position where I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool did sign a left back of some sort over the next I think what the transfer window goes on till 2024 does it or something stupid it just it just seems to be open forever but uh yeah i would imagine that liverpool might look to do something in left back it's open for 10 weeks doily that's what the uh the duration for the window is going to be but dan i suppose it's not glamorous but probably left fullback is number one on the priority list for liverpool in terms of bringing recruitments in i think it's certainly got to be right up there i mean the way liverpool play the fullbacks are so important for the balance of the side, you know, both attacking and, and, and defensively. You know, there are, Nico Williams, I think, has shown that, you know, he, he can be certainly a very able deputy to Trent on the right-hand side. You've got Joe Gomez, who, who can also play there as well. But I think, you know, bearing in mind that the way Liverpool, you know, Liverpool have by and large been relatively lucky with injuries to key players over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, they haven't been without them. It would be, you know, folly to suggest that. But, you know, they won't always be so lucky. So, and this is the difficulties that a club, as you like Klopp, because you know, he's made it very clear he doesn't want a massive squad. He likes having a relatively small pool of players. But obviously within that, you've got to have enough flexibility and versatility to be able to cover all eventualities or certainly as many as you can get. So, yeah, I mean, it used to be the, you know, bit of a Carragher Neville joke, didn't it? The, you know, no, didn't Carragher say no one wants to grow up being Gary Neville? But I don't know. I think you, you probably get a fair few kids around Liverpool who want to grow up being Trent Alexander-Arnold now. And I, I think you know you, him and Robertson, too, to a slightly lesser degree, have shown that fullback can actually be one of the most interesting and rewarding positions on the pitch because you're involved a lot and you can shape games from there potentially if you're good enough. So it's a big opportunity for someone if they're prepared to come in, play second fiddle to a certain extent to Andy Robertson. But if they're versatile enough that they can play in, in midfield, and they're patient enough to wait for their opportunity, it could be, you know, a big opportunity for maybe one of the lesser heralded lights of, you know, I don't, I don't see Liverpool going and spending £60 million on a Benjamin Mendy like Manchester City are probably going to go and do again this summer. But that's not how we operate. You know, the, I saw a great tweet a couple of days ago saying, look at, you know, a lot of, a lot of Liverpool's, one of Liverpool's greatest episodes, which I think absolutely no problems about saying that that's what this is, a lot of them came from very inauspicious backgrounds. And yet now 
our, our world stars. And so a lot of young, hungry footballers will be thinking, well, if I play my cards right and, and if I get the right break of the ball or the right, the right agent to get me in there, this could be my, my big ticket. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that one does play out. Jamie Gallagher actually recently told you, Gorsley, didn't he, that Trent has actually now made the right fullback position sexy. So we will have to wait and see how the uh, fullback positions do play out for Liverpool and if they do indeed dip into the transfer market. Final thing for us then to look at, it's going to be award season very shortly indeed. The uh, football writers deciding who their players of the year are. You three are all football writers. I talk an awful lot about football. We best all get round and have a chat about who we think are contenders for player of the year and well basically who we think should win it and Gorsty I'll let you take the floor first on this one um, Does it have to be a Liverpool player? can be whoever you want I mean I think Kevin De Bruyne has shown himself to be the, the, the division's outstanding player hasn't he so expect him to win it but from a Liverpool perspective I'd love, love to see Jordan Henderson win it I think he's been uh, he's in the form of his career um, absolute leader on the pitch off the pitch he's done, doing great things for his teammates and, and for his teammates and, and for the wider community. Um, and Liverpool have shown lately that they miss him, don't they? They miss his drive, his determination, his underrated passing ability. Um, and I think Virgil van Dijk has kind of gone under the radar because of how good his standard is um, and of how consistent he is, really. So um, those two and, and Sadio Mane had a fantastic season as well with 21 goals. So those three are the Liverpool contenders, but I think this might be the one where, where De Bruyne nicks it. Thought for a moment, then you were going to keep listing the uh, the Liverpool squad. Doily, who, who are you going for? Um, there's no Arsenal players, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> Ouch! I know, yeah, controversial call. As I said, Arsenal, but he never plays. Um, you've got um, Kevin De Bruyne is probably the Premier League's best player. Um, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah are probably Liverpool's best two players. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold is probably the Premier League's best young player. So I'm not going for any of them. Uh, I'm going to go with Jordan Henderson because I think that it isn't just about what you do on the pitch. Although in his case, you know, as we've just as Gus has just said, with him not playing, now we actually get to see what he actually does provide. It's not always about you know fine passes and all of that. There's more to it. And the other thing is that if you ask the other players what they think, they'll all say certainly with Liverpool. They'll say Jordan Henderson, and it will be between Jordan Henderson and and Kevin De Bruyne. They're the two players that. For differing reasons, they're the ones that the fellow professionals have certainly for this season have got the greatest admiration for. De Bruyne purely on the basis of his talent, and Henderson for the way you know he has played, the contribution he's made to a team that, as we've mentioned, God knows how many times, are the best in the world in England and in Europe. But also the way that he's handled himself and the example that he sets to the other teammates. When you've got teammates who, you know, like Virgil Van Dijk and like Alison Beck and the ones that we've mentioned who look up to him. You know, so you've got players of that standard. And his manager, his manager, Jurgen Klopp, knows a good player when he sees one. And he's, you know, he's somebody who stood by him when things weren't going particularly well a couple of years ago. And, you know, they've all got the rewards. And you saw what the reaction was from the pair of them when they did win the league. They were both in, you know, separately in tears. And that's what it means. And that's the that's why Henderson deserves to be the, you know, he, he may not be the football writer's player of the year, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the PFA one. Yeah, I have to say, for, for me... It, it would be Jordan Henderson too. That Liverpool waited so long for this league title. He is the captain of the side. He embodies it. He's the driving force of it. And I'm with you on that one, Doyle. Dan, who's your shout go to? It, I mean, it's hard to argue with it with, with any of that. I mean, it, it, from a non-Liverpool perspective, Kevin De Bruyne, boyhood Liverpool fan, Kevin De Bruyne, it should be said, is 
outstanding footballer. You know, he's, he is a joy to watch. I think, you know, Raheem Sterling probably deserves a mention. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. He, he, his, his consistency, I think, this season has finally started to kind of be there to fulfil all that promise that we saw, obviously, in his early years at Anfield. And I think, you know, the maturity and the leadership he's shown in a kind of non-footballing sense as well, um, I think, you know, it's, it's certainly worthy of mention. For Liverpool... I mean, sat, sat, I love, I love, one of my favourite moments of the season was in the aftermath, I didn't notice it at the time in the away end, but in the, in the aftermath of Lallana's equaliser at Old Trafford, and there's a great picture of Mane tugging them back to the, the halfway line going, come on, we can still win this. I mean, we didn't, but that's been his mentality. You know, he has been a transformative player for Liverpool without question. There's been a few of them that have come in in recent times, but I think you know, Mane has, has done as much as anybody to take Liverpool to the title. But I don't think you can look past Jordan Henderson. His leadership, his example. Um, I think his strength of character as well. I mean, Doyle mentioned Virgil van Dijk before. I think when van Dijk came in, I think in those early months, people kind of felt he's, he's the captain without the armband. And maybe I read too much into things sometimes, but I kind of almost detected there was possibly a little bit of, you know, I think Henderson knew that. I think Henderson, Henderson could see that. I think there were times towards, maybe in this, the, well, midway through last season when there were times when Henderson wasn't getting picked. Henderson wasn't always in Liverpool's best eleven. I think maybe he might have thought, Is my am I getting edged out here? The his progression to a more advanced role in the you know in the latter stages of last season kind of really helped him kicked on. He scored some big goals. Obviously Liverpool led obviously then led Liverpool to European glory in Madrid. And I think he's really kicked on this season with his captaincy, with his leadership. And you know, I've always kind of said, great, you know, great teams need leaders and captains all over the pitch. You know, you can argue that football isn't a game like cricket or games like cricket or rugby. The captains have quite a strong on-field influence in tactics and calls during the game. You can make a claim that in football, really, all they do is toss the coin at the start and lift the trophy at the end. But Henderson has gone above and beyond that. I love the fact that a lot of Liverpool fans, you know, a lot of Liverpool fans took a long time to warm to him. One of my favourite moments in, during lockdown was when a friend's dad had a birthday, and they and they had a birthday cake made for him with the as it was then the three trophies Henderson had lifted, with a quote from the dad saying, "We'll never win a trophy as long as Henderson's in the side." <laughs> you know, the fact that he's proved so many people wrong, I think, is one of the most joyous aspects of it. So, if it was up to me. It would be it would be Jordan Henderson, yeah. Yes, uh, three votes for Jordan Henderson, one for Kevin De Bruyne, Liverpool three, Man City one. I think I've heard that one before. Well, anyway, <laughs> that's it from us here for this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. Of course, the Blood Red Podcast will be back with you on Monday. Plenty of content coming up across our YouTube channel and our podcast feed as well through the course of the weekend. Keep yourselves safe and well. And until next time, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.